Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Greg Olson has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Want to be like Craig? Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Friday, April 5th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. Uh, Len Peralta will not be illustrating this week. He had some technical difficulties, but he will return next week. We are joined, though, by Laura Shin, host of the Unchained podcast and Unconfirmed podcast, uh, and somebody who covers the Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, blockchain space very well. Laura, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm glad to be here. It was a it was kind of a busy week in in your area of the of the news. Uh, so we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, yes. Tell me about it. I was working like morning until night every day for <laughs> various reasons. <laughs> uh, there's some SEC guidelines to talk about. There's we're gonna we're gonna ask Laura uh, where she thinks this whole space is as far as Bitcoin and blockchain. But let's start with a few tech things you should know. The Wall Street Journal sources say that Apple Music reached 28 million paid subscribers in February, which passes Spotify with 26 million. However, if you include the free tier, Spotify has more users than Apple Music in the U.S., and it still has more paid subscribers worldwide. The reports also complain, uh, <laughs> they don't complain, but they do claim that Apple Music's worldwide growth is higher than Spotify's overall. Google announced the dissolution of the Advanced Technology External Advisory Council, the AI ethics thing we told you about last week? Well, it's already gone. Uh, Google employees petitioned for the removal of Heritage Foundation President K. Colt James. Then Carnegie Mellon's Alessandro Acquisti resigned. So Google said it became clear the council couldn't function properly and it, quote, will find different ways of getting outside opinions on these topics. A pilot program from Google puts a row of advertisements on Android TV device home screens. A Sony support page says, quote, the purpose is to help you discover new apps and contents for your TV. Sony says it's managed by Google and can't be customized. XDA developers report seeing the strip in Sony smart TVs, the Mi Box 3 and NVIDIA Shield TVs as well. Can't imagine anyone will mind, right? No. 
Uh, finally, China's TikTok app is launching a talent contest where users from Japan and Korea can upload music videos to be judged by local musicians and people from record labels. Become the next K-pop or J-pop star. A combination of popularity and judges' opinions will narrow the field to 18 over the next five months. TikTok says five to ten acts will eventually be crowned winners at the end of the season, which includes getting a record deal, I think. All right, let's talk a little bit more about what the European Commission is doing to Steam. Let's do that. The European Commission sent statements of objections to Valve, Bandai Namco, Capcom, Focus Home, Coach Media, ZeniMax, uh, and, and yeah, if that wasn't enough for you, saying that it believes geoblocking Steam purchases violates Article 101. That article regards the digital single market and geoblocking prevents cross-border sales in some EU member countries. After an investigation, the European Commission could ban the behavior and fine companies up to 10% of their annual worldwide turnover, which yeah. could be a lot. If you're not familiar with how this works, it's a, it could be a little bit uh, a little bit tricky to understand. They're not saying that if you buy a game and you live in Poland and you travel to Japan that you should be able to play it. They're saying if you buy a game and live in Poland and you travel to Germany, you should be able to play it because what what Valve is doing with Steam right now is geoblocking by countries within the EU. And the EU has this digital single market initiative to try to get rid of those kinds of geoblocking. For instance, with Netflix uh, as well, to say like, hey, if you subscribe to Netflix, uh, you should be able to get access to your subscription no matter where you are uh, in Europe. And, and that means your own home library, not just the Netflix that's available in France, say, if you're a German subscriber, etc. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if these companies uh, and Valve come to an agreement with the European Commission uh, somehow, because unlike Google, which likes to fight these things because it's it's a much bigger deal, uh, I think Steam would, would just like to, to make this go away, and they'll need the cooperation of these publishers to do it. In preliminary Q1 earnings, Samsung reported operating income fell 60% on the year, the biggest decline since Q3 2014 and below analyst estimates. Samsung had issued a warning last month that they thought the income would come short due to decreases in DRAM and NAND memory prices as a result of slowing sales. DRAM demand is expected to rise, however, in the second half of the year as data centers work through their existing inventory, so that could be good news for Samsung. Samsung display divisions were also hurt by lower-than-expected iPhone sales and competition from Chinese display makers. Yeah, we've been talking about the fact that Samsung had said, all right, brace yourselves, not going to be a great quarter. But the numbers are grim, particularly since it hasn't been that big of a decline since back in 2014, five years ago. Uh, but again, this is, this is one of these kind of cyclical things that I, I wonder, how much are we going to be talking about this in the fall? It, 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 it made even out the way that many quarterly earnings do for companies. But because Samsung does depend on other companies, the iPhone sales being a really big factor in this, for example, if if trends start to go in other directions for other companies, which are even technically competitors of Samsung, then I, I'd I'd love to see what Q4 looks like for the company this year. Yeah, Samsung's really complex. For instance, the the Galaxy S10 was on sale during Samsung's Q1. Uh, but it is expected to continue to sell well enough to sort of boost the mobile revenues. Uh, at the same time, the display 
part of Samsung's business would like the iPhone to do well. They need the Samsung Galaxy S10 and the iPhone to do well, as well as any other clients they have. And don't forget that Samsung has other divisions as well. They have financial divisions. They have white good divisions, uh, you know, things like washers and dryers. Uh, But the big money tends to come these days from display panels, memory and phones. Uh, and so the the big drag has been that that large amount of money they got from memory uh, has has stalled, has stagnated as the market has stalled. And and yeah, like you said, Sarah, it, if, if it loosens up at the end of the year, if iPhone sales uh, are pretty good, then Samsung could have a pretty good looking Q4. Laura, I'm actually curious. Do you do you care to declare if you use an iPhone, Android, or some <laughs> other phone? I use an iPhone, but um, I often will give out a Google Voice phone number for security reasons, which goes back to uh, a crazy trend that's been happening in the crypto space now for a few years. I wrote about it all the way back in 2016. But scammers will like steal your phone number through. You know, like if you're mm-hmm. at Sprint or whatever, they'll call and be like, or all, so let's say I'm your hacker, I'll call ATT and say, Hey, I'm Tom. Uh, I want to move my uh, service over to Sprint. And then, um, and then once all of your calls and texts are coming to my phone, I will like lock you out all of your accounts. And the reason that this is happening to crypto people is that, like, if they can break into your Coinbase account or something, then they can like send the Bitcoin out. And there's no bank of Bitcoin that can reverse the transaction. So long, long answer to your question. But yes, I use an iPhone. <laughs> and, and, and yet <laughs> there, there are reasons to, to, to sort of protect that phone. That's really good insight. Um, yes. And, and I, I, I don't know. Is there a preferred operating system in the cryptocurrency space? Um, well, I think a lot of people are doing what I'm doing where Mm, the reason I explained that was because if you text me, it will look like uh, it's like not an iMessage because it's like a Google voice text. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I think what's happening is like essentially whatever kind of phone you have in the crypto space, you will use Google voice. Um, so it depends on how technical you are. I think the more tech techie types, they use the Google phones. A study published in Psychological Science by scientists from the University of Oxford found little evidence of a link between time spent on devices by teenagers and general well-being. We've talked about this a lot on the show in the past. The study combined self-reporting and time diaries, which records what teens are doing at certain times of the day and also where they are. Data was used from 17,000 teens in the UK, the US, and Ireland, collected between 2011 and 2016. Further studies could take into account the type of content being viewed as well, which I think would be the logical next question. Okay, if you're, you know, if you're doing great, I mean, are you, are you hanging out on real positive networks, or, or yeah, I think that, that that matters a lot into something like this. Yeah, if you're generally seeing the data say, okay, there doesn't seem to be a strong link between the general well-being and the amount of time spent, is there a link to be found in that data between the people who are not doing so well and the kind of content they're looking for, particularly if they're looking at violent content, etc.? I'm not... Again, not trying to assume that there's a link there, but that would be a logical thing to look at, especially as countries like we heard about from Australia are really trying to crack down on on certain types of content even being allowed on mm-hmm. onto platforms. You know, we should know what kind of effect that has and and do some studies on it. Uh, but Roger, as you know, you've got two kids. Uh, how how do you, how does this strike you? Um, it's an interesting study, and I think really what it would highlights is that. 
there isn't there isn't a there isn't a comprehensive definitive study that says this explains everything, right? This is this is yet another study in this ongoing research to find some sort of correlative data between screen time and uh, adolescent health. And, you know, it, it depends on, you know, if you're just looking at screen time and then like the overall health of the, the, the individual, you glean certain things. But, for example, if you do a study on um, children with like emotional issues like depression and then you study the amount of screen time, you'll come up with different correlative data. And really, it, it's building a study that kind of kind of answers what you're looking for. I mean, it, there are so many ways to, you two, you you guys have just covered so many ways to look at it um, that I think this will help build a picture, but it doesn't help complete the overall picture of what we need to do. But I will say as a parent, it does relieve me some of the guilt. <laughs> one, more, yeah. one more study to help relieve the guilt. More yeah. screen time does not equal yeah. sadder children. I mean, I... <laughs> I think it does help complete the picture. It just doesn't complete the picture. Yeah, exactly. It's one more. It's one more piece in the giant puzzle that we are trying to build between uh, screen time. I mean, like we've been doing this for decades with television and and children. Like, you know, when I was in school, TV's going to rot your brain. You're going to go blind if you watch it in the dark. You watch too much. (laughs) You're going to have stupid idea. You know, there are all these things that came out of it, which were which turned out to be more of a symptomatic like they were watching a lot of TV because it was a symptom of something else that was going on with that individual, not necessarily the cause of whatever. And so what we need is longer, you know, we need more studies over a longer period of time to give us, you know, a, a, you know, a yet another brick to kind of build out this giant picture. Yeah. That's why it's good. This study did more than just self-reporting. Self-reporting can sometimes overestimate at one end and underestimate yeah, at the self, other. Self-reporting is always a 50-50, especially when they found out that everyone who, who filled in one of those dietary things about how much they ate and how much they weighed and you know, how, how yeah, sure. their no, physical no, there's tons, tons of examples of that. Yeah. yeah. So. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman reports his sources say Amazon will launch a pair of wireless Bluetooth earbuds with voice integration in the second half of 2019. So you'll get good old Alex A in your head. The device will reportedly look similar to Apple's AirPods, have a USB charging case like the AirPods and, and others like it, and let users tap to answer calls and change tracks. So basically what you would expect from a Jabra or AirPod or Google, except made by Amazon. Current test units are in black or gray, although who knows what they'll end up uh, being in, but it sounds like maybe they're testing some colors out there for them. Uh, Sarah, you're living with the Jabras right now. How how enticing are these Amazon earbuds? I think it very much depends on price. Um, I will say that Jabra, at w- which is the the model is the Jabra Elite 65T, which technically integrates with both Siri and Alexa, and you can toggle between the two. I have not found that to be very seamless. Uh, so that and that'll be part of a report that I'll be making pretty soon. But I, I think if Amazon wants the voice assistant to become a bigger player against Google's assistant, which is huge in the mobile space, then this is the right way to go. I don't know how great these speakers or these speakers, these, these, these earbuds are going to sound, but it's not that hard to make good sounding uh, earbuds these days. The Jabra's that I have are over $150. What if Amazon does something similar for 99 Mm -hmm. gesture stuff, pretty Pretty enticing as well. Again, I I have found anything with a Bluetooth connection to my phone can be squirrely. 
It's not just earbuds. It's lots of things. It's just Bluetooth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just Bluetooth, but, but it, but it is getting better. And I think that, you know, Amazon has, Amazon is, Amazon doesn't create competition, uh, and, 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 and say we're the high end company. No, they're really successful because they, they do pretty good stuff for prices that, uh, most of the time people consider really affordable. So it seems like a really good move on their part. Yeah. German's article too says that the, the sources are saying Amazon wants these to sound better than the AirPods. So if they could do that and be cheaper, uh, then that, that is kind of a slam dunk. Laura, before we move off this, I'm curious, uh, if you use any of these kind of wireless earbuds for your work. Yeah, I use AirPods. But one thing I was wondering is, wait, so I'm sorry, it's collected, connected to Alexa somehow. Yeah, so that's built into the the earbuds, according to the sources, anyway. Oh, so meaning like you could listen Siri to music. In your ear, you'd right. tap it, and so say, instead instead of you being like, I have to be near my speaker in my living room, mm-hmm. it would just be part of your life wherever you are. Oh, I see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't trust Alexa. I don't trust any of those home listening device. Like I would never have one of those in my home listening to me all the time. But it, this wouldn't, you wouldn't have to have one of them in your house. It would just be right, right, right. earbuds. So yeah, you could just use. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know. Although you can I make know. the same argument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're still listening. Sure. I'm just walking Wait, around. Your earbuds are listening to you. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I see be. what you're saying. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission issued guidelines this week for companies that want to sell digital tokens. The SEC considers most cryptocurrencies an investment contract. That means they should be considered securities and registered with the SEC before being offered to the public. The SEC guidelines do say that Bitcoin and Ethereum both are not securities because they're decentralized. In a separate letter this week, Turnkey Jet was also allowed to offer unregistered tokens because the proceeds would not be used to build that token network, and then the tokens would not trade outside of Turnkey's platform. Laura, I know this is very much in your wheelhouse, and in fact, you suggested this story for us today, although there's a couple couple different stories in here. What are your thoughts on on how people are trying to define all of this stuff going forward? What came out this week is actually not that different from what different members of the SEC has been saying all have been saying all along. However, what is different is that now it's been codified into this document, whereas before they were generally comments by, um, like, the, for instance, the SEC chairman or different directors of the SEC that they made in like speeches or at conferences, and so. Um, People were just like trying to parse what they were saying all the time and trying to figure out how official is what they're saying. And then now that it's actually come out, um, you know, it's it's a pretty kind of like a full uh, analysis of of how securities law would apply. Whereas like before, it was literally just maybe like a sentence here or there um, where then people were trying to extrapolate. So it definitely made a lot of waves. However, um, you know, in terms of the actual significance, there's nothing that's really new. There are like small pieces, but in terms of the overall gist, um, it's been kind of what different individuals have been saying from the SEC all along. It does seem like that's one of the frustrations people are having is they pointed to a 1946 Supreme Court decision on investment contracts rather than saying, hey, this is a whole new thing. We're going to have to come up with whole new rules for it. 
Exactly. And like I said, they've been saying that all along. You know, two years ago now, uh, they came out with kind of their first quote unquote report that applied to the space. It was called the Dow Report, uh, which addressed, I don't know if you remember back in 2016, the Dow, this mm-hmm. decentralized autonomous organization that was structured like a venture fund and it raised $150 million in a crowd sale. Eventually, it went defunct anyway because there was a bug in the code that enabled somebody to take $50 million. And so that's how we now have two versions of Ethereum. (laughs) Ethereum was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, we need to fix this. And so they hard forked uh, the ledger. And so there's now what we call Ethereum is now a version of Ethereum where none of this happened. And then the original chain now goes by Ethereum Classic. But anyway, the point is, okay, so after a year, uh, um, a year after all that pandemonium, the SEC came out with its first report, uh, you know, called this the Dow report. And at that time, they said the law that applies here is the so-called Howey test, which comes out of the Supreme Court case. And you're right. The original case involves orange groves of all things. <laughs> and so this report this week was the first time where like, you know, what they released actually, you know, if you read between between the lines, they don't use the words like minors or anything like that. But, you know, you it very clearly kind of shows like, okay, so these are the ways that they view the Howey test. And here, when they're like describing how that would apply in this case, you can figure out, oh, they're talking about like how it would apply to minors, how it would apply to developers of these projects, things like that. And so in that regard, it was like a little bit more meat for uh, people who want to do projects in this space where they can um, uh, have more to look at, to think about when they launch something. I do like the idea of harvesting Bitcoin instead of mining it. You know, picking it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another project they call there's baking. So uh-huh. because the, mm, one of the guys who's good. <laughs> yeah. One of the guys who started it is French. So he was like, you know what? If we can make up our own words, I'm going to choose baking. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, y'all need to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. It's available to keep you up to date. All right. The P2P Foundation's profile for Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto lists the date of birth as April 5th, 1975. We don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is or if this birthday is accurate, but hey, why not? Happy birthday, (laughs) Satoshi. Quickly, while we have Laura here, we do want to touch on Bitcoin. Bitcoin trading volume dropped to a two-year low in March. However, earlier this week, the coin rebounded with a 20% rise, having its best day since 2017. Nobody seems to agree why that happened. Uh, But let's cut to the chase. Laura, is Bitcoin dead? Oh, my gosh. No, Bitcoin is definitely not dead. Uh, You know, will it survive long time? Like, I don't know. You know, certainly, I think something in the crypto space will but just look at this like a few years ago uh you know people were paying 10,000 bitcoins to order two pizzas and now a single bitcoin is like 5,000 or whatever it is so clearly this is not dead and there's a significant number of people around the world who believe in it uh to the point where you know they're putting their quote-unquote savings in what they call this digital gold. And so for them, like, you know, they think this is a superior form of money. Frankly, I think, and and, well, I don't know if I would only restrict it to Bitcoin, but, you know, crypto assets in general, I find to be a a superior form of money compared to cash, seashells, credit cards, like whatever you want to call it. Um, So in that regard, like, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I don't know if Bitcoin will succeed long term, but is it dead? Definitely not. All right, let's talk about DeFi or uh, decentralized finance, uh, which is, as I understand it, sort of uh, another layer 
being used to sort of bridge the gap uh, and and sort of hedge yourself against some of the volatility, but take advantage of some of the independence of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Explain to us a little bit what DeFi is. So this is a trend I've been following now for about a year in the crypto space. And it's mostly happening happening on Ethereum. So the examples I'll give you are from Ethereum. But essentially, essentially, if you look at our current financial system, and this goes back to um, the financial crisis, you know, people became uh, disillusioned with the way our current system works because it's these, you know, big institutions that just have all this power and take a lot of the money. And, um, when you, ha- when things like Bitcoin and blockchain technologies were introduced, it introduced this idea also that now you could have these sort of like community owned networks where people own a piece of it. And, um, rather than, this central gatekeeper, like a bank saying, okay, you know, I'll take your money or I'll lend you money, uh, you know, or, or, you know, to other people, I, I won't do that for you. Um, now you could replace all that with software, right? So what a lot of these DeFi decentralized finance projects are doing is they're essentially replicating a lot of the banking functions using smart contracts on Ethereum, so, for instance, we've got decentralized lending, we've got um, decentralized uh, derivatives, um, decentralized credit, decentralized exchange. These are all kind of different examples of some of the things that these de- developers are, are building. And I'm actually going to walk you through this one example that I just find so fascinating. And it uh, is, I think, not only fascinating to me, but to a lot of people, because it actually makes up... I forget, it's something like maybe 75% of all DeFi at the moment. Um, it actually accounts for now for 2% of all Ethereum is locked up in this system. Interesting. And um, what's fascinating about it is that it's actually kind of multiple things at once. And so the system is called MakerDAO. And originally, most people, like, you know, if if you just kind of ask somebody who maybe has a passing familiarity with it, though, they'll, they'll think, oh, MakerDAO creates the stable coin called DAI. Mm-hmm. And a stable coin is any kind of cryptocurrency that um, has a, you know, a stable value similar to a dollar. And in this case, DAI is indeed pegged to the value of a dollar. Um, but the way that they make this peg happen is different from other stable coins. You have centralized versions of stable coins where uh, maybe they partner with a bank or multiple banks or whatever, and then uh, there's a dollar in uh, the bank for every digital dollar that they're issuing, right? Um, MakerDAO is a decentralized version of a stable coin where instead of having dollars in a bank sitting anywhere where, you know, that it, it, uh, poses like a certain kind of risk, right? Because then there are uh, uh, individual institutions that could be uh, hacked or whatever. Um, you can go on there with your Ether and you can create stable coins. You can create DAI for yourself. And the way that this works is you basically give yourself a loan. So let's say you have, um, I actually, this is the funny thing about doing these podcasts. I actually don't keep track of the prices very well. Um, because I, I tend to focus more on the technology, but so let's say I'm actually not sure what the price of Ether is right now. We can, let's we can say imagine like a, one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say it's like a hundred dollars. Sure. For just so for let's example. say you. So let's say you have like 10 Ether or something, like a thousand bucks. And you're like, okay, well, you know, um, 
I expect the value of Ether to go up. Maybe, you know, in a year, I, I think it might be at like 150 or 200. So I'd like to kind of use the money now without actually selling the Ether. So I'm going to put, um, uh, and we'll just keep the numbers easy. So maybe you put like one and a half of your Ether, in, or sorry, you you put three, three of your Ether in the MakerDAO smart contract. And then that will enable you to take out... Um, and actually, I might be doing this wrong. Sorry. It might be... So we'll say 1.5 Ether. Um, and then you're allowed to take out $100 worth of DAI. Because you have to over-collateralize. It's, I think, 150%. And then you can spend that money. You can, like, spend those dollars. And, yeah, okay. Or the the DAI. Sorry, I shouldn't call them dollars. Um, and... Okay, yeah, later you'll have to pay kind of like a quote unquote interest rate, which is actually called the die stability fee, um, which is used to uh, make certain functions happen. So that way, indeed, you know, the system can kind of uh, keep going and they can pay the various people who make it happen. Um, but uh, that uh, enables you to use that cash. So instead of like, you know, like with a stock, you would just have to wait for it to go up to use it, right? Or to use the value in it. In this case, you can sort of have your cake and eat it too, where yes, you get to hopefully uh, enjoy the price appreciation in the ether, but at the same time, you can sort of use the dollars for, you know, I don't know, um, buying a coffee or whatever it might be. So how, where, anyway, are the, where are the dollars in this, this transaction? That so that's the die. Yeah. So oh. that that's when you take out the die because the die is supposed to be pegged to a dollar. Mm -hmm. You can use the die to. Um, but how is it pegged to, to a dollar if you're buying it with Ethereum? I think that's the part that's tripping me up. Right. Okay. So this is where it gets tricky. Uh huh. So there is actually a second token in the MakerDAO system, and uh -huh. that's called MKR. Okay. And the MKR that that the value of that goes up and down. That's not pegged to the dollar, and only special people basically are allowed well not special sorry uh the, it, that's um they're essentially that's a what they call a governance token where those people their job is to make sure that the system does not collapse their job is to if if any of these they're called collateralized debt positions when you put up your ether and then take out die if any of these collateralized debt positions is getting too low where it's falling below the 150 percent mm -hmm. um then, then they are, uh, they need to, um, kind of pick those off and close out those positions. And then, so like, let's say it's, it's yours where your CDP was falling below th the threshold. So then suddenly your ether gets sold. Um, and I actually have to, so I'm sorry that I don't remember at this point, what happens to you if you just have the die, mm -hmm. I think you just have the die. And then, um, then the, the system, you know, will try to, uh, ensure that the value of the system never falls uh, below the collateral, uh, you know, their, across the whole system. What's their motivation to do that on, on the MKR side? So for the MKR holders, if they do a good job and the, um, peg does not, fall and and the system does retain its peg then they uh I, I can't remember at what point but at some point some of the mkr tokens will get burnt mm. and so what that means is then the value should go up however um if they don't do a good job then more mkr tokens will be minted mm. in order to um make the system whole again yeah yeah okay so anyway all of this is to say this is basically like a decentralized central bank right 
Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so people are going on there, they're creating dye for themselves and then they're additionally using the dye to purchase more ether. <laughs> like, like, like this is where it gets, it gets, this is why I was saying there was echoes of the financial crisis. Right. Um, and then on top of that, they're also doing it on to think on other DeFi projects where you can put dye in and then earn an interest rate on it. So, um, so like, you know, they could, uh, have the price appreciation with the ether on the one hand, but then they get the dye and then they can put it in the, it, it's like a decentralized money market called compound, where I think the interest rate, at least for some period was 6%. And then they would put the dye into compound and then earn the 6% additionally. So there's just all kinds of like super interesting. Yeah. I hope that wasn't too complicated for people to follow. It's it might be, be like, it's going to be real complicated for, for a lot of folks to follow. But I, I think if we can sum it up, uh, it sounds like, What's happening with DeFi and and Dow this MakerDAO being an example of that is instead of just a currency system, a transactional currency system, you're creating a banking system, and it's more than just your local branch bank. It's like the full financial. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high volume, high speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. Industry is what they're attempting. Is that sound about right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's really it. Because like I said, I'm seeing projects in all these categories that uh, we've got the money markets, we've got the derivatives, we've got the lenders, you know, just, I mean, it's like, and yeah, it's fascinating because they're all um, a decentralized exchange. They're all doing things with each other. So Mm -hmm. um, the different DeFi projects, uh, people are using their money in multiple ways across them. Yeah. Uh, well, this is this is fascinating and why you folks should subscribe to Unchained and Unconfirmed <laughs> to, to learn more <laughs> about this. 
We also hear a lot of these types of stories in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on others at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. Well, thank you, Laura, for joining us today and, and yeah, kind of introducing us to this topic. I know uh, some folks out there are still going to be, you know, their brain spinning a little, especially if they're not as familiar with the financial industry. But I saw some people in the chat room are like, OK, this sounds like options trading this, you know, so they're they're starting to catch on. Uh, but at least you now know about the term DeFi and kind of have a slot uh, to put it in if you hear about it or or talk about it. And if folks want to find out more about these so- sort of topics, where should they go? You can go to unchainedpodcast.com. Both of my podcasts are there. And I also have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up for where you will get all the podcasts plus all the links that I think are important for the week for people to stay abreast of the news in the crypto space. Go check it out, folks. And you can follow Laura on Twitter at Laura Shin. Uh, Also, folks, don't forget, you can support this show directly through Patreon. You get all kinds of perks, uh, including uh, a weekly Threatwire cross post from from Shannon Morse, a column from Roger, uh, an audio column from me and more. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash DTNS. If you've got feedback, feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is the place to send it. We're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Thanks, everybody joining us live and find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live back on monday with vlad savav from the verge joining us talk to you then this show is part of the frog pants network get more at frogpants.com club hopes you have enjoyed this program (laughs) hi this is janice torres from yo quiero dinero If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA, copyright 2024. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.